It's not a product, it's a technology. It's an education challenge. A regenerative suspension. There will be a growing demand for industrial photovoltaics. Tom Tiger. Innovation in the financing space. The high-speed train is in all our interests. All political lines. Australia is a solar paradise. The market is moving much faster than that. You've got something that's transformational. Solar window in a can. Beyond Zero. Global warming science, solutions and action. Taking it to a do-it-yourself level. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Beyond Zero Science and Technology Show, recorded in the studios of 3CR Melbourne, syndicated around Australia on the Community Radio Network and podcast on the internet at bze.org.au and 3cr.org.au and whatever podcasting app you use. You can also follow us on Twitter at BZE Tech Show. My name is Kay Wenigle and I'm joined today by Laura Perry and Michael Steindl. Morning Kay, morning Michael. Good morning. Today we're going to talk to Dylan McConnell, who's a research fellow at the Melbourne Energy Institute at the University of Melbourne. He's got a Bachelor of Engineering and a Bachelor of Science. Dylan was an author in the Melbourne Energy Institute Renewable Energy Technology Cost Review. He has also developed detailed energy market models for analysing the National Electricity Market Electricity Dispatch and Price Setting System in the context of understanding the effect of distributed photovoltaic systems and other technologies affecting wholesale electricity demand. Today we're going to be discussing with Dylan the recent power blackouts, also known as the Black System event in South Australia, and try and work out what actually happened, rather than listening to political agendas. Hi Dylan, thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, good morning Kate. Let's start with the facts that we know about this blackout on September the 28th. There was a one in 50 year violent storms right across the state with extreme winds and rain, hail half the size of golf balls and well over 100,000 lightning strikes causing damage to businesses and houses around the state. The gale force winds caused 22 power transmission towers to topple over and that cut three transmission lines. Is that a, what you understand, Dylan? Yeah, that's roughly, that's a, I guess a high level summary of what happened. I guess in terms of the actual very fast response that occurred as these towers collapsed, there's a sort of a, a very quick succession of events that occurred in about an eight second period that actually led to the, the final system black event. Um, and that really started off with the, the transmission lines going out of service. So there was three major transmission lines that are between Port Augusta and roughly Adelaide. And all three of these lines were affected sort of sequentially. And there was a fault on one line. Uh, that didn't particularly affect the system. There was no change in, in generation output. There was a fault on a second transmission line and that sent transmission line went completely out of service. And following that, there was a, a, a drop off of about uh, 120 odd megawatts of wind power. And then following that, there was a, another fault on other transmission lines. So that meant all three transmission lines that were sort of heading north to Port Augusta were out of service and then about another 190 megawatts of wind power uh, dropped off. So this this all happened in a matter of seconds. Mm, it's a pretty amazing time frame, isn't it? Yeah. Yes, it is. And because there was this loss of generation and, and the, the loss of the interconnectors, that created a huge spike of or a huge surge in, in demand across the interconnector from Victoria, the Haywood interconnector, which is uh, in southern southwestern Victoria between South Australia and Victoria. Now, at the time, or sorry, just before the event occurred, it was transferring about 500 megawatts of power from Victoria to South Australia. As soon as this 
surge up to about 900 megawatts, which is well above, it, I guess, its design rating, its thermal rating, and it, it tripped off. Uh, sort of protection equipment kicked in to, to, to cut off that import and immediately, basically, South Australia lost 900 megawatts of supply. Now, that, that caused all the other generators to trip off because there was a huge drop in voltage and, and the entire system to go black. Dylan, perhaps just on that topic, we should explain to the listeners not familiar with the electrical systems um, why this tripping out occurs, and it's to do with needing to maintain the network at a standard voltage and frequency, the 50 hertz frequency. Yeah, that's right. And as and that needs to be matched at both the, the consumption end and the production end all the time instantaneously, and to the extent that any mismatch occurs, that causes those things to go out of out of whack. If there's too much generation, the frequency will go up and the voltage, so on. So these these systems are designed to trip out, aren't they, when when something goes wrong? So yeah, that's right. The, the AEMA, the Australian Energy Market Operator, showed that um, as they published a preliminary report last week and they showed that as the three transmission lines tripped, um, we went into that overload. Is it clear at all yet whether the wind generators caused those interconnectors to trip? Well, so two of the interconnectors came out of service before the wind... Um, so, sorry, there's transmission lines which are in, in the state, within the state, and then there's yep. the interconnector which is between the states. Sorry, yeah, so, I used the term wrongly there, the, the tripping, yep. So the, in terms of two of the three transmission lines in, inside South Australia tripped before there was any change in the wind output, but the interconnector, uh, the, the sort of um, the link between... Victoria and South Australia, that did trip after there was a reduction from wind power. Okay, because the extra load. So we had um, 840 megawatts of wind power going in um, at, the, at the time of this event, plus another 400 megawatts from gas plant and 300 megawatts plus from Victoria, the interconnect. Um, what happened to those gas power stations? Well, they eventually also tripped off, um, but they tripped off after the the supply, the um, connection to Victoria was lost. Again, that would have been a protection feature. In fact, I think the frequency dropped well below sort of, yeah, the safe operating range for the, that equipment and both, yeah, the Ladbrook plant and the Torrens Island plant also tripped off. So Minister Hunter said that if South Australia still had the coal-fired power station operating, that that wouldn't have happened, um, it would have been more resilient. Is there any truth in that? Well, it's difficult to see how that's possible. I mean, it, it's basically the two coal-fired power stations are up in, in Port Augusta and they are north of where the transmission faults occurred. Presumably, if they had existed and were generating, you would have had, if not the same loss of uh, power, perhaps even a greater loss of power, and, and that would have created a similar, similar flow-on effect. You would have sort of seen, you know, depending on how much power the brown coal generators were generating and because they are low cost, they presumably would have been generating quite a lot. That also would have been lost from the system. That would have also created a surge across the um, the Haywood interconnector, which would have also tripped off, creating effectively the same conditions. Um, having said that, it's it's very difficult to um, say what would have happened. I guess in a in an alternative universe, it is difficult to see how having the brown coal stations still online would have affected this in, in any way, though. Um, it's worth pointing out that this actually sort of did happen 
probably 11 or so years ago when there was, a, a, again, a storm, a lightning event up around Port Augusta that resulted in the output of both Northern and Playford dropping to zero very quickly. And basically, you had the same surge across from, from Victoria. You had the interconnector tripping off. And then as a result of that, you had some other plants within South Australia tripping off because of the the frequency uh, deviations. And then there was also widespread blackouts then as well. So experts in the area are basically, you're, what you're saying is agreeing with the Australian um, energy market operator, EMO, Tony Wood from the Grattan Institute, uh, who said that the generation mix in South Australia, which is a high proportion of renewables, was not a factor. Yeah, um, and and Andrew Vesey at the uh, All Energy Conference in Melbourne also said, when you lose significant transmission and have significant change in real time between load and supply, bad things happen. Yes, that's a good, good, <laughs> succinct summary, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. He was talking to engineers. Then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the AGL actually put out a, a press release uh, yesterday saying that their view wind generation was not at all sufficient by itself. It, that the, the drop in, was not sufficient by itself to cause a system blackout. Um, and I think something like a third of their wind capacity was actually generating at the time and continued to operate right up until the blackout occurred. So, you know, they, these these ones that did trip off were sort of directly affected by the original... Well, they're in parts of the network that were directly affected by the uh, the transmission lines that fell down. Mm. The Australian energy market operator, AMO, has contracted two SRAS, system restart ancillary service providers, which have services that are meant to restart the system when it goes down. Evidently, there were problems with both of those providers. Do you know anything about what those problems might have been? Um, well, one of them is, is unclear and still under investigation. Um, so just in the way of, I guess, background, the starting up, this is a, a kind of a very unusual blackout, starting up the system from this kind of blackout where everything is is um, down is, is a very, I guess, complicated procedure. It's not... It's Sort of, we're all sort of presumably familiar with having the odd blackout here and there, and you know, it might be a suburb that goes offline, or a, you know part of the city or part of the, the state that goes offline, and and rebringing that online is very much different to what we've seen just seen in South Australia. It's um it's actually sort of the first time an entire state has gone down. Um, we did have a sort of similar event up in Queensland in, I think, 2009 or so, um, and it had to do with Black Start for half of the state. Mm-hmm. But um, this, this Black Start process, starting a system from Black, is, is not a trivial process, and it does take time. I think AEMO guidelines say that for these providers that help get the system back online, they have to... Re- uh, provide up to 40% of the state's peak load in four hours. So that's a, that's a fairly slow um, response time compared to, say, you know, a, a regular blackout. Um, so in this case, they, they, do, they do have... They did, have um, they did contract two system restart uh, providers to help reboot the system. And in this case, one of them was affected by um, the storm. Mm. Presume... Uh, I think it was also struck by lightning. And then another one was also unavailable. Well, sorry, it was available, but it was unable to uh, help restart one of the major 
power stations, the Torrens Island power station. Um, um, and the reason for that is still being investigated. So in the end, they actually effectively, it's a crude analogy, but it's not a bad one, it's a jump-started the system from Victoria, um, uh, which is, yeah. Mm. <laughs> Some dirty great jumper leads. <laughs> yeah. So no backup, really. Well, yeah, the, 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 two, the two system restart services didn't entirely go according to plan, um, but they had a, um, a, a, another option, basically. Yeah, luckily. Yeah. So are there any questions about the quality of the build or, and or the maintenance of the pylons that went down? Um, I'm sure there will be. And, uh, you know, this is, this is, there'll be reports written about this for months, I imagine, um, you know, what, what, why this occurred and whether they were up to, you know, according to Electronet, they were built to the, the code or the, the you know, what, what, what standard, that's it, that's what I was looking for, that's, they were built to the standard required. So, you know, from their perspective, they, they met their requirements. You know, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of questions about this over the next couple of months. But, yeah, as, as far as I'm aware, um, there is nothing, this is a particular, you know, this is a black swan event. Can't prepare for every contingency. I guess mm. what the message is. I sort of get a little bit nervous about people saying, "How do we stop this from happening ever again?" Kind of thing, because particularly after coming coming off the last five years of talking about the sort of perils of gold plating and how much it's cost our consumers across the country, uh, in a, in a way, this is that was partly, particularly in New South Wales and Queensland, that come off the back of some blackouts or reliability events. It sort of drove a political response to improve reliability standards. And then we had, I guess, a gold plating of the network to meet these reliability standards, which then created a political problem around electricity prices and mm. so on. So yeah. it's sort of, you know, to pre- prepare for this kind of event, you know, to have a 100% reliable system would be prohibitively expensive. Yeah, and you always hear stories about backup generators not working because you never get to test them. Yeah. I understand that. You know, kind of a good example is uh, in Victoria, after the Blackfire Royal Commission, um, they one of the recommendations was to underground all the, well, certain regions of the transmission lines for and um, end distribution network to, you know, prevent fires starting from these assets. And that was going to cost something in the vicinity of $10 billion. Now, that was deemed politically unfeasible and they went for a much cheaper option at the end. And I guess that sort of illustrates this tension between meeting the objectives of low cost and reliability and security. And, you know, there's always going to be some thing, there's going to be some event that you haven't planned, you cannot plan for. And, um, you know, we could have undergrounded the all of the lines in, in South Australia and that may have prevented this event, but then maybe there's an earthquake next year and they all snap in half or something, you know. It, it's, it's, um, it's just something to, to get... To have uh, that just something that happens, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. For those who have just joined us, you're listening to the Beyond Zero Emissions show. We're talking about the South Australian power blackout issues with Dylan McDonnell from the MEI. Now, Dylan... Um, it's understood that the electricity system in South Australia is at higher risk of blackouts occurring in, compared to other areas with maturity, mature electricity grids such as Europe and North America, Victoria, New South Wales, even Queensland. Is there anything in particular that makes it more vulnerable, do you know? 
Um, I guess you know this is uh, this comes back to the question of electricity mix and technologies and having high penetration of renewable energy and all those sort of things. Uh, they don't necessarily they don't necessarily make the risk of blackout higher. They make I guess um, managing supply and demand different sort of challenge. Like managing supply and demand is already a challenge that sort of needs to be understood. We have we have a system that you know as as we talked about before it has to balance electricity and demand in real time and it's meeting peak demand or in the in the fluctuations in um demand and um have have always been a challenge you know we have a our demand is uh, is actually very variable and so adding renewable energy into the mix definitely changes that equation it, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's um i guess more likely to occur, but it definitely changes the mix of technologies that you need to, I guess, manage manage the variability. So in, in a sort of a traditional, like something like Queensland's a good example, without much renewable energy, you basically have quite a lot of coal generation that operates at a high proportion of the time. Um, then you have a little bit of mid-merit, what, what's called mid-merit, Generation, which is kind of flexible, sort of combined cycle gas, which can ramp up and down, but still produces quite a lot of energy, sort of over the course of the year. Then you have um, peak generators, your open cycle gas turbines or diesel generators that are able to respond to very quick, rapid changes in demand. Now, in a system like South Australia, you still have that sort of, you still have those sort of three three options to choose from, but you, you change the mix of those dramatically. So instead of having, say, um, a lot of coal or um, you know high capacity factor generation, you have much more flexible generation and open cycle generation. Uh, and so and where, actually where this becomes interesting is, is where batteries um, come into it, or storage, pumped hydro, etc. sitting on the grid and in South Australia the grid is very skinny at the, at the South Australian end and also at the North Queensland end that means if one interconnector goes down you're in serious trouble whereas if you're in the middle of the grid it's not quite as dramatic. Yeah. Dylan um, there's so much more we want to ask you and we've only got five minutes left at least half a dozen questions. Um, yeah. This is the Beyond Zero show and and we're um, trying to we're advocating that Australia should go to zero emissions in 10 years. Have the states been reckless with renewables and their targets, as some of the politicians are saying? Um, no, I, d I don't believe so at all. I mean, in my view, the the states are just filling a void left by the, the federal government. Um, yeah. in, you know, they, we, we have a national uh, energy target that goes out to 2020, and we have direct action plan and the safeguard mechanisms. But... Or direct inaction, as many know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, but in terms of, you know, well, the renewable energy target runs out in, in 2020, um, and it's, as you know, a lot of analysis and modelling has shown the current, as it stands, 
safeguard mechanism and direct action um, plan is not going to meet our um, Paris mm. commitment. And, and, of and course, the 2020 figure you mentioned, the industry needs much greater certainty to exactly. it for these sort of investments past that. Exactly. So and, and so as sorry. a result of this, we, we have seen states coming in to provide that certainty to yep. to investors, but particularly in the case of ACT in Victoria and uh, uh, soon to be Queensland as well. Yeah, it's. Um, I'm proud to be in Victoria when we're finally turning around again. Is it is it too early, Dylan, to say what sort of lessons we can learn from these blackouts, or do we need to wait a bit longer? I think it's. I think it's too early. Um, um, you know, as that that AEMA report is very much a preliminary report, and there is, um, you know, much more. Uh, it's very qualified and says, you know, we need to do much more investigation into this. So, uh, you know, watch this space. There'll be more to come. Um, mm. But you know, and it depend, and that's the sort of thing. It depends on what what they end up finding. You know, if if it is just a matter of, um, you know, this being completely due to the transmission failure, then there's not necessarily a great deal that can be learned from it, other than, you know, our electricity system is vulnerable to extreme weather events. Um, you know, as comes back to that question about gold plating and the, what level of reliability and security are we willing to pay for? If this, if this event kind of event doesn't happen for another fifty years, well, that's you know that maybe that's a, a sort of acceptable risk that we're willing to take as a society. But then, if you think about, I guess, how these things might evolve under climate change, um, then I guess we do have to have a serious think about how we maintain energy security in a, in a changing, changing climate. Yes, that's an important point because one in 50-year storms are now becoming one in 10-year storms. Exactly. exactly. So both Malcolm Turnbull and Energy Minister Josh Frydenberg, sorry, and yeah, Josh Frydenberg have um, suggested that gas could emerge as a, as a transition fuel in the move from coal to renewables. But um, it's, it's increasingly been shown that gas isn't as much cleaner as people think than coal. In fact, maybe just as bad by the time you factor in the fugitive emissions and the the much greater effect methane has it, um, when it's released as a fugitive emission. Uh, is that? Uh, do you see South Australia needing to to go more to, to gas? Or um... Um, I guess my perspective on gas is that um, you know it's a little bit too late for the gas to be a transition fuel, if you have a look at what mm -hmm. we need to achieve um, by middle of the century, um, gas gas generation, you know, even even using, uh, I guess, low emission factor estimates, gas is still emits too much um, um, emissions. So it's sort of, I, I see gas building out a whole new fleet of gas generations uh, as a sort of, um, I guess, a risk of building a new wave of stranded assets or a new, yeah. the next round of, uh, you know, Hazelwoods, the, the sort of assets are going to have to close in less than, say, 30 years. And, you know, who, who's going to finance those? Who's going to build, um, you know, these, these are typically long-lived assets. Um, who's going to, well, why should we build these sort of things if, if we ultimately need to shut them down before they've, you know, uh, reached the end of their useful life? Again, it's an economic um, discussion there too, isn't it? Yeah. So what do you think the public's going to make of our leaders, particularly our Prime Minister, Deputy Prime Minister and Energy Minister, who in the middle of this extreme weather crisis 
were making unsubstantiated comments on the causes and ignoring the plight of hundreds of thousands of victims. <laughs> That's, um, well, hundreds of thousands. I think it's more like one, 1.7 million, actually. I think that's how many people were blacked out at, um, in South Australia. Um, I, look, I, I'm not really sure how that's... How that's going to play out, I'm afraid. <laughs> and and it is a political question, but you're only a day off, so we throw, we throw it at you. <laughs> <laughs> it was a good answer too. <laughs> well, we've just run out of time now, Dylan, unfortunately. That's Thank right. you very much for explaining this so clearly. I really appreciate it. And where can our f- listeners find out more about this? Um, well, if they really want to get into the nitty-gritty, they can have a look at the Australian Energy Market Operators um, Incident Report, which is available on their website. Um, I wrote a very, I guess, short piece on the conversation that was published this morning that might provide some useful links and uh, additional detail, but um, there's certainly plenty of material out there, some of it better than others, on the, on the uh, mainstream media at the moment. The conversation is a good place to go. Thank you, Dylan. No worries. Thanks very much, Dylan. And just two announcements. Um, for those catching this live, uh, last chance to catch the marketforces.org.au event tomorrow. Um, it's in Melbourne. It's at Fed Square, but just go to that marketforces.org.au for your local event. Come and join, get the social media happening. And Hurricane Matthew, which is apparently just about to hit America, um, those people in those states are being warned that they are likely to be without power for days or, um, sorry, a day or multiple days. Uh, Prime Minister Malcolm Turnbull, in an exclusive for us, and Barnaby Joyce, Deputy Prime Minister, and Minister Greg Hunt and uh, Mr Frydenberg have all blamed it on the restarting of the renewables in South Australia. (laughs) Thank you, everyone. (laughs) Thank you. The Beyond Zero show is brought to you by the climate solutions think tank Beyond Zero Emissions and is recorded in the studios of 3CR Melbourne and syndicated around Australia on the Community Radio Network. And if you want to listen to this show or any of the others we've done, you can go to www.bze.org.au and go to Science and Technology and click on Podcasts. And you can also find us on Twitter at BZE Tech Show. Thanks for listening and hope to catch you again next week. And don't forget our sister program every Monday afternoon at 5 o'clock. It's not a product, it's a technology. It's an education challenge. A regenerative suspension. There will be a growing demand for industrial photovoltaics. Pumped hydro. Innovation in the financing space. The high-speed train is in all our interests. All political lines. Australia is a solar paradise. The market is moving much faster than that. You've got something that's transformational. Solar window in a can. Beyond Zero. Global warming science, solutions and action taking it to a do-it-yourself level. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.